Hello, I'm Stevie Nicks, and welcome to Song Sung New, the podcast where we, well, you know what we're doing today. We're going to finish off Let It Be, and we have some really good songs to sink our teeth into, so let's get straight into it. Now, I said on yesterday's episode, Side 2 isn't a ramshackle mess, and as such, is much stronger than Side 1. It kicks off with an overlooked gem in the Beatles catalogue. I've got a feeling... I mean, it is impossible not to get caught up in the exuberance and joy of this performance, which was recorded live on that rooftop above Apple HQ. In fact, I've got a feeling that this raw, unvarnished recording is one of the Beatles' best. The band is lockstep tight, carried along by the sheer pleasure of playing live again, and it permeates through the microphone. And listening to McCartney and Lennon trading lines is a rare treat too. The last time they did this was on She's Leaving Home, but the forlorn tone of that song was a million miles from this one. I've Got a Feeling is a genuine Lennon-McCartney entity too. Like A Day in the Life, it is two separate songs, McCartney's I've Got a Feeling and Lennon's Everybody Had a Hard Year, and they put them together. And in doing so, they ensure that the sum is greater than the parts. And speaking of comparisons... It shared something in common with Getting Better, where McCartney's optimistic It's Getting Better was juxtaposed with Lennon's pessimistic interjections of It Couldn't Get Much Worse. And when Lennon sang Everybody Had a Hard Year, he wasn't kidding. That year, he divorced Cynthia, Yoko had a miscarriage, he was battling heroin addiction, he got busted for drug possession, and he was estranged from his son Julian. Oh, and his band was breaking up. Another thing I've got a feeling does is prove you don't need great lyrics to have a great rock and roll song. Just like Tutti Frutti, I've got a feeling is all feel. Its lyrics are at best banal, but it doesn't matter. The Beatles recorded two versions of the song, a studio version which came out on Anthology 3 and the live version we all know so well. Here's a combination of the two, beginning with the studio version. See which one you prefer. I've got a feeling, a feeling deep inside, oh yeah, oh yeah. I've got a feeling, a feeling I can't hide, oh no, oh no. the train is a door Everybody put the food out. Oh, yeah. 
I've always thought that song should have been called I Got a Feeling. I, not I've. It's more rock and roll. I guess McCartney, who is now Sir Paul McCartney, was a stickler for the Queen's English. Anyway, one of the things that set Let It Be apart from all the other Beatles albums is it had a fifth Beatle for the project, keyboardist Billy Preston. Invited to join in the sessions by George when things were snowballing out of acrimonious control, Preston brought precision, enthusiasm and commitment. He was a very talented player, and his presence not only enhanced the songs, but it challenged the Beatles to be better. And they were because of him. Anyway, Preston was not a session player. He was a recording artist in his own right, with five albums to his name at that point. And his record label just happened to be Apple. Album number six, Encouraging Words, came out the same year as Let It Be. And just like Let It Be, Side 2 kicked off with I've Got a Feeling. I wouldn't be surprised if he borrowed the intro from Aretha Franklin's Son of a Preacher Man, too. Take a listen. years later, and a band called Pearl Jam were trying to make a name for themselves outside of Seattle. In those days, record companies would produce samplers for radio stations and journalists to hear in the hope that they would pay some attention to their new signing. The first record bassist Jeff Armin ever bought was Let It Be, so it was his idea for the band to record a cover of I've Got a Feeling for the promotional disc. Eddie Vedder personalises some of the lyrics, liberties that could only improve them. And I'm not sure if this song did the trick, although I've got a feeling it might have, but just a few months later, Pearl Jam's debut album 10 was getting picked up and played everywhere. As I said yesterday, the Beatles knew this would be their swan song, and all of them, well, Lennon in particular, were getting a little nostalgic. First Maggie May, and now track two, side two, one after 909, one of the earliest songs that Lennon wrote with McCartney. McCartney later said he didn't think it was a great song, but it was a personal favourite, because, quote, 
it has great memories for me of John and I trying to write a bluesy freight train song. End quote. The Beatles actually recorded a few takes back in 1963 during the sessions for From Me to You, but they never saw the light of day until Anthology 1 came out. Here's a bit of that version, merged with the Let It Be version. If you wanted a song to show you just how far the Beatles had come as a rock and roll band, here was your song. Now the story goes the Beatles only recorded this song because they needed an extra one for the album. But I'm not buying that. As I said earlier, there were no shortage of songs to pick from, Don't Let Me Down being a prime example. One After 909 is here because the Beatles wanted it here. James Apollo is an American artist who in 2010 recorded a version that sounded a little sinister, creepy even. I'm not sure that's quite the feeling he was trying to evoke though. His narrator is frustrated and a little annoyed that his girlfriend won't do as he asks. He's not asking himself why, he's just venting. I begged her not to go, and I begged her on my bended knee. You're only fooling around. You're only fooling around with me. Come on baby, don't be cold as ice. Stay with us, we'll be right back. Is real music dying? What even is real music and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird and the deep questions. And we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in. And go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. Got the wrong location 
Mama said she's traveling on the one after 909. Willie Nelson recorded a so so version for a Beatles tribute album in 1995. And there have been more Beatles tribute albums than Beatles albums, or even Beatles songs for that matter. But the most well known cover came out four years earlier, and it was by the Smithereens. Their version was pretty straightforward, but it retained that chugging train rhythm McCartney liked. Speaking of McCartney, he wrote the next track, The Long and Winding Road, a song probably most famous for the fact that McCartney hated what Spectre did to it, which I'll get to in a minute. The song is one of the last ones written while the Beatles were still together, and it is another one that speaks of the divisions in the band. The wild and windy night that the rain washed away has left a pool of tears crying for the day. Why leave me standing here? Let me know the way. Many times I've been alone, and many times I've cried. Anyway, you'll never know the many ways I've tried. Don't leave me waiting here. Lead me to your door. McCartney later said, I just sat down at my piano in Scotland, started playing, and came up with that song, imagining it was going to be done by someone like Ray Charles. It's a rather sad song. I like writing sad songs, it's a good bag to get into because you can actually acknowledge some deeper feelings of your own and put them in it. It's a good vehicle. It saves having to go to a psychiatrist. End quote. McCartney offered the song to Tom Jones back in 1968 on the condition that it be his next single, but the record company insisted that Jones release Without Love There Is Nothing. Jones pleaded with them to reconsider, but the record company stood firm and, without love, went top five in the US and top ten in the UK. Still, it doesn't have quite the longevity of McCartney's song. As Jones says at the start of his song, to live for today is the wisdom of a fool. for today and to love for tomorrow is the wisdom of a fool because tomorrow is promised to no one you see love is that wonderful thing that the whole wide world needs plenty of and if you think for one minute that you can live without it then you're only fooling yourself listen please I'd like to tell you something that happened to me just the other day. I awakened this morning. I was filled with despair. All my dreams turned to ashes. Now they're gone. And I my life it was barren and so bare without love I had nothing nothing at all
I bet you didn't think you'd be hearing that song today. Speaking of not getting your way, let's return to the subject of Philip Spector. When McCartney heard the strings inquire that he had gifted, quote-unquote, his song, McCartney was apoplectic and demanded they be removed. But Lennon and Harrison were firmly in Spector's camp. I'm not saying they preferred Spector's version, but they were not going to back McCartney in over their chosen producer. It's no coincidence that Spector produced Lennon and Harrison's first solo records. When Let It Be Naked came out in 2003, Spectre's meddling was dispensed with, so people could decide for themselves who was right. Me? I'm siding with McCartney, so I'm going to play you the naked version. But before we get to that, here's three fun facts. Number one, The Long and Winding Road is the only Beatles song where Lennon plays bass. Number two, Spectre wiped Harrison and Starr's parts off the finished song. And number three, the song was the band's 20th and last US number one. Actually, I'm not going to play you the naked version. Instead, I'll play you the version that came out on Anthology 3. It also has no trace of Spectre. The long and winding As I said earlier, McCartney said he had Ray Charles in mind when he wrote it, and Charles ended up granting him that wish in 1971. Here he is with the Count Basie Orchestra. The long and Okay, let's play a little game. See if you can pick the next four singers. First up is this one. Was Diana Ross in 1970. Okay, next singer. The 
and you probably guessed correctly that that was Yusuf, the artist formerly known as Cat Stevens. That version came out in 2014. Okay, these next two are a little harder. See how you go with this one. Have you picked it yet? Just kidding. Jesus Christ, what was that all about? That was Leo Sayer, and if you're too young to know who he was, count yourself lucky. Last song, and I'll give you a clue for this one. This woman's daughter also became a famous singer. The long and winding road that leads to your door And that was Sissy Houston, mother of you-know-who. Okay, next track, For You Blue, which was the B-side to The Long and Winding Road. Written by Harrison as a love letter to his wife Patty Boyd, the song was actually recorded at Abbey Road after the Twickenham sessions, and it is notable for the fact that Lennon plays slide guitar. The song is a kind of country blues and was originally called For You Blues. When the band recorded it, it was listed as George's Blues, bracket, because you're sweet and lovely, bracket. And by the mixing stage, it had changed its title again to Because You're Sweet and Lovely. An alternative version came out on Anthology 3, and that version went like this. George's son Dani recorded a pretty straightforward cover in 2016.
version that came out the same year on the George Fest album kept it simple too. The vocalist is Canada's Chase Cole. final track, as I said at the start of last week's episode, should have been the first, Get Back. The song was born out of an impromptu jam and pretty much improvised on the spot. If you haven't seen the footage of McCartney working it all out in his head on episode one of Jackson's documentary, then do yourself a favour. The whole 150 minutes is worth it for this bit alone, which happens at about the 62 minute mark. The original lyrics satirised the anti-immigrant sentiments in England at the time. Sentiments, if Brexit is anything to go by, remain to this day. For example, one of the first lines said, Don't dig no Pakistanis taking all the people's jobs. Fortunately, McCartney decided to remove the line, and it's just as well, because I am sure there would have been a lot of people quoting it verbatim, minus the satire. Now, I spoke of Billy Preston's influence earlier, and Get Back is the song that most benefits from his presence. In fact, so indebted were the Beatles, the single was originally credited to The Beatles with Billy Preston, the only time any single from the band was given joint credit. Get Back can be taken two ways too. One is the anti-immigrant sentiment, and the other is simply saying, get back to your roots, which was the whole purpose of Let It Be. Not surprisingly, for much of the project, its working title was in fact Get Back, Not Let It Be. And fittingly, Get Back was also the last song that the Beatles played at their 10-song, 42-minute final gig on top of that roof at Apple Records on January 30, 1969. And that performance came out on Anthology 3. And here it is. featured Elton John's brilliant cover on Season 3's Elton John episode, so no need to reprise that here. 
But speaking of reprises, I'd like to bring Ike and Tina Turner back into the frame. These guys seem to love Let It Be and Abbey Road, recording versions of Come Together, Something, Let It Be, and Get Back. In fact, they liked Get Back so much, they recorded two versions, one in 1970 and another one two years later. Version 1 had elements that would resurface on Nutbush City Limits three years later. Like the Turners, Elvis also mined the Beatles' catalogue, and in 1970, his Vegas setlist included... Well, I'll let Elvis introduce it. And the guitar you hear just before he starts to sing is played by Elvis. When I was in the Army, a record came out by me. No, just when I got out of the Army. A uh, record came out by me. Uh, what the hell was it? Oh, yeah, it's called uh, Little Sister. One like this. You don't buy it, man. No, it's up there. Oh, damn, boy, there it is. Little sister, don't you? Little sister, don't you? Little sister, don't you kiss me once or twice and say it's very nice and then you run? Does the rhythm track remind you of Get Back? It does? Well, Elvis thought so too. Al Green is an artist who, like so many of that era, relied on covers for songs to sing. And like the artists featured today, he didn't just ape the original, he bent it to his musical will, breathing new life into it in the process. Green's best album was 1969's Green is Blues, an album that puts the blues into rhythm and blues, or the rhythm into the blues. Take your pick. The album came out in April 1969, which, interestingly, was the same month that the Beatles' Let It Be came out. It looks to me like Green got an advanced copy. More evidence that the Beatles loved black American music. (laughs) 
Fair to say that by the time Get Back came out, McCartney wasn't on Lennon or Harrison's Christmas card list. But they both loved Get Back, and during the recording of their first solo albums, jammed it with their respective bands. Here's Harrison during the All Things Must Pass sessions. And here's Lennon during the sessions for Plastigano Band, which interestingly also feature George. And with that, the Beatles let Let It Be be. Although it wasn't all of Let It Be, there were three other songs worked on during the sessions that would eventually see the light of day. Don't Let Me Down, Old Brown Shoe, and The Ballad of John and Yoko. I played a couple of covers of Don't Let Me Down on the second 1960s episode in Season 5, but there's one more worth singling out. It's Benny King, who recorded this in 1970. Now the reason I'm highlighting this version is because Lennon returned the favour five years later when he covered Stand By Me on the otherwise forgettable rock and roll album. Don't Let Me Down, which first came out as the B-side to get back in April 1969, was the first track that the Beatles tackled on day one of the Twickenham rehearsals. And Jackson's doggo showed just how much time they invested in it, so it was surprising to see that it didn't make the album, because it definitely should have. This was the first song that Lennon wrote about Yoko, and as we all know, it wouldn't be the last. It was also another example of Lennon revealing his vulnerable side. In public, he was forthright and formidable, but privately, he was anything but. He called Yoko Mother, for example. On July 1, 1999, Scotland welcomed in its newly elected parliament, and the reason this was significant was because it was the first time in 300 years that Scotland wasn't under British rule. The night before, the city of Edinburgh staged a public concert, and one of the headline acts was Garbage, and, well, here's Shirley Manson introducing one of the songs that they played that night. We're going to ask you to sing along to this one, because this is just a message to the men that will be taking their place on our behalf in the Scottish Parliament tomorrow morning at 9.30, I believe, 
And uh, I thought this was an appropriate song for this evening. And you'll all know it. It's written by one of the most famous bands in the world. And of course, you'll recognise it as soon as they kick in. Brown Shoe was a Harrison song that was recorded during the Abbey Road sessions, but I'm calling it out here because A, it was rehearsed during the Twickenham sessions, and B, I prefer the demo recorded at Twickenham to the proper version that ended up being the B-side to The Ballad of John and Yoko. Having said that, McCartney's base on the finished product was something to behold. Here's a combination of the two. Many critics regarded Old Brown Shoe to be superior to The Ballad of John and Yoko, and yet more evidence of Harrison's big brothers unjustly pulling rank on him. In fact, music critic Dave Thompson said, quote, Old Brown Shoe ranks among the finest Beatles compositions of the group's final years, end quote. And that is high praise. I'm not sure I agree, but each to their own. A year after Harrison died in 2001, a concert was staged at London's Royal Albert Hall to honour Harrison's memory. Called the Concert for George, the backing band included musicians close to Harrison's heart, Billy Preston and Eric Clapton in particular. Anyway, the guy that was asked to perform Old Brown Shoe was Gary Brooker, who used to be in a band called The Paramounts, and their connection to Harrison was the fact that they were the support act during the Beatles' 1965 tour of the UK. Brooker later said that he struggled to do the song justice, saying, quote, It's a very difficult song to sing. It is totally George Harrison, and you have to become a different person to be able to sing it. It took me a long, long time to learn it, and I still couldn't sing it like George. End quote. See if you agree. <laughs> Thank you. 
what's wrong I want a short haired girl Sometimes wears it twice as long Now I'm stepping out of this old brown shoe The last track that was only in its embryonic stage during the Twickenham sessions that was eventually released was The Ballad of John and Yoko. The song wasn't a ballad, but it was a diary, and there was no need to guess who the song was about. Now the name Yoko would appear again during Lennon's solo career, and he also referred to himself in the third person on Plastic Ono Band's Hold On. The song is also interesting for a few other reasons, not least of which was the fact that the song was recorded and mixed the same day that Lennon wrote it, April 14, 1969, and only Lennon and McCartney played on it. And the Spanish guitar part at the end of the song, this bit... And that was lifted from Lonesome Tears in My Eyes, a 1956 song by Johnny Burnett and the Rock and Roll Trio. The Beatles used to play the song in their Hamburg days, and they also played it on the BBC in 1963. Here's a bit of that version. Oh baby, 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 blues are sorrow, and I love you tomorrow, just suit you just fine. Oh baby, 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 blues are sorrow. I love you tomorrow, just suit you just fine. I can't forget that you told me so many promising lies. I'm not trying to forget these lonesome tears in my eyes. You've broken my heart, gonna do it again. I can't forget the spell that ways it was fitting that this would be the last song that anyone recorded under the Beatles banner. 1. The song was the Beatles' 17th and final UK number 1. 2. Lennon wrote it, just as he wrote the band's first UK number 1, Please Please Me. And 3. The last two Beatles left standing were Lennon and McCartney, the band's twin engines. The Beatles began as Lennon's band and they ended up being virtually McCartney's band due to the fact that Lennon had become increasingly disinterested with each passing month. I'm going to play a take seven, and I love the byplay between John and Paul at the start. After all the shit that had gone down, after all the lawyers and all the verbal slings that they had thrown at each other, they were together again, one more time, their final time together in a studio, united in their love of making music. Love is all you need? Maybe. But a song doesn't hurt. It got a bit faster, Ningo. 
Okay, George. Okay. Standing in the dockets of Hampton, trying to get to Holland or France. The man in the Mac says, You've got to go back. You know they didn't even give us a chance. Christ, you know it ain't easy. You know how. said at the start of yesterday's episode, Let It Be was not a universally loved album when it first came out on May 8, 1970. Writing in the New Musical Express, Alan Smith wrote, quote, If this album is to be their last, then it will stand as a cheapskate epitaph, a sad and tatty end to a musical fusion that wiped clean and drew again the face of pop, end quote. He went on to say the album showed, quote, Contempt for the intelligence of today's record buyer. The Beatles have sold out all the principles for which they ever stood. End quote. But in 2020, Rolling Stone had the record inside the top 350 on its list of the greatest ever released. They also published their top 100 Beatles songs, and eight tracks from the Let It Be sessions made the cut. The highest was the title track at number 8, and the lowest was Digger Pony at 92. The other tracks to make the list were, in descending order, Get Back, Don't Let Me Down, The Ballad of John and Yoko, Two of Us, Across the Universe, which was 30 places lower than The Two of Us, make of that what you will, and The Long and Winding Road, which was just two places ahead of Digger Pony. If you discount Diggit and Maggie May, well that's eight songs out of ten, which is a fair strike rate. The Beatles began Let It Be with the self-imposed challenge of coming up with 14 songs in three weeks, and they more than met it. Recorded before Abbey Road, but released after it, Let It Be would be the Beatles' finale, and again, in some ways, it was fitting, because they ended up right back where they started. Four guys locked in the studio, trying to make an album from scratch. It wasn't Please Please Me, it was Please Please Us, You and Me. One more time. And on that score, they did it. They always did it. Don't smoke. I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the group and ourselves. I hope we pass the audition. <laughs> oh, yeah. Get back. Get together. Thank you.
Some of them you just didn't do, you never got round to them, but it was a great ideas time. 